0: I have been really excited to release today's episode because we are chatting all about food freedom, which runs into intuitive eating and the health at every size movement. And this is a big conversation in the health and wellness space. And I get a lot of questions about my opinion on the food freedom movement or the health at every size movement or intuitive eating. And there's a lot to say and there are parts of those communities who I just don't resonate with and I really disagree with a lot of the messaging in some areas of that space when it turns into shaming people who want to eat healthy foods or who have food intolerances so they choose not to eat certain foods. It's It's a whole conversation, which is what we talk about on today's episode, and the guest today is someone who talks all about food freedom and what intuitive eating means and loving your body in a way that really resonates with me, and she is one of the people in the food freedom space, the movement of helping women get away from chronic dieting. She's one of the few people in that space who I feel like really represents a very balanced approach and realistic and I just love her work and her content and know you guys are going to love her as well. If you're not already familiar with her, Claire Siegel, she is a registered dietitian and she's really just all about balancing her love for veggies and her love for treats and teaching women to love their bodies, to care for their bodies and to look inside of themselves to cultivate the confidence that a lot of us look for outside of ourselves and Claire is the creator of Nutritional Freedom which has helped hundreds of women change their approach to health and find that same shift from yo-yo dieting and exercising as punishment to loving their bodies, fueling their bodies properly, finding a way of eating that makes them happy and feels balanced for them and creating a true sense of self-confidence you can find her foundation's program and freedom membership at NutritionalFreedom.co. You can also head over to Instagram and look up Nutritional Freedom. That's their handle. And Claire's own personal website is ClaireSiegel.com and her Instagram is Claire underscore Siegel. Claire is just so down to earth, real, has just uh, such a great perspective on all of this. And I know a lot of these topics can be very controversial I love the way she navigates them and love the way she explains things and the way she really just honors everybody's individual experience, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear more from her. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's go ahead and hop into this chat with Claire Siegel. I am super excited to chat with you. I love all the work you do and the content you put out, and I think especially in today's culture. It's so needed. And so I would love for you to start off by just telling the audience a little bit about you and and what you do. Yeah. So
1: my name is Claire Siegel. I am a registered dietitian and the founder of Nutritional Freedom. So we run a 12 week nutrition and mindset coaching program called Foundations. And then we also have a membership program for our clients who graduate from Foundations and want additional support. Um, and that is called our Freedom Membership Program. And the program was, or, the, or both of our programs were really designed to basically meet the needs that I had, um, through my like decade plus of dieting where, you know, really from the ages of 13 to 23 plus, you know, I was constantly feeling like I was battling my body, trying to control my weight. I had this really like twisted relationship with food and, you know, my, my, my entire value and worth was placed on the number that, you know, decided to show up on the scale any given morning. And so I did, I mean, I, everything I was on Weight Watchers in middle school, I did, you know, several Whole30s, I did juice cleanses and keto, like all, all the things, Atkins, South Beach. Um, and it really wasn't until I took a step back from from dieting and really just tried to focus on my relationship with food and getting back to, um, you know, being able to eat intuitively. I spent a really long time um, kind of at the end of my dieting sp- you know, time counting macros, counting calories, weighing all my food, measuring. It was in, when I was in college. And so it was just really not conducive to like that social environment. And I finally just like reached this breaking point where I was like, I need to figure out how to just freaking eat and be okay with my body. Um, so we work with women who have been chronically dieting, you know, many of them, it's been, you know, five to 10 plus years for them. We help them, you know, learn how to trust their bodies again, learn how to nourish their, their bodies with, with food in a way that feels joyful um, and really just find, you know, their value um, beyond beyond the scale and really focus on lead, leading a, a, a value-driven life versus one that's driven by this desire for, you know, weight loss or you
0: know, whatever. Yeah, there's a lot to dive in in, into here. I'm really excited about it. (laughs) Um, But I mean, this is a huge need. And the first thing that I think about is, you know, you talk about how most of the women you work with are chronic dieters. And for people listening, I think a lot of people don't realize that they're dieting. And I almost feel like on some of almost everyone I talk to is on a diet.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's that's a big thing and something that we even um I think work on in our messaging because especially in today's day and age like diets really are I think societally frowned upon. Um you know, it's not it's really not cool to to be on a diet. Right now it's really cool to pursue health and wellness, which is is great, but I'm sure you see this a lot. Like people take it way too far and what they're doing, you know, in terms of their health behaviors to pursue their physical wellness comes completely at the expense of their mental wellness and their social lives and their quality of life and their values to where it's no longer actually healthy.
0: Yeah. And I think it's such a tricky line to walk. And I mean, for me, working with so many people who have gut issues, for instance, or hormonal imbalances, and maybe we make dietary adjustments and you have to pay super close attention to if this person is trying to use this health issue as an excuse to stay on a diet, you know, and I think it's, yeah. it's getting so confused in the health and wellness space. Cause like you said, it's super trendy to pursue health and wellness, but yeah. at what point is it dieting? And I think that's why, I mean, I would love to hear from you. Like, what do you consider dieting?
1: Yeah. So I think an something that's really helpful to keep in mind is that dieting is really not about the behaviors themselves, right? Like you can eat a salad from a dieting mentality, but you can also eat a salad from a self-care mentality. So it's not always, we're not always looking at, you know, telltale signs of, Oh, if someone exhibits this behavior or that behavior, then they're dieting that can be helpful. But oftentimes we're really like more focused on the thoughts that are, are, you know, preempting those, those behaviors. Um, so if they're restrictive thoughts or, um, thoughts rooted in fear, then that can often mean that it is coming from this, this dieting mentality. Um, and then again, it's, it's kind of like to, to what end are you pursuing your physical health? What sacrifices are you having to make along the way? And, and are you okay with that? That's something that we really focus on in the program is, you know, clients don't come to us to define dieting for them. We really look to co-create this approach to health that is, you know, that suits their, their needs, their desires, their goals, their lifestyle, again, their values. We always come back to that um, and really focus on it from a client-centered um, perspective versus, you know, there's the the diet dogma, right, which you and Marissa talked a lot about, um I think just last week, but then there's also the the anti-diet dogma, which I also think is a little extreme at times and and not always in favor of the the client.
0: Mhm. Can you speak a little bit more to that, the anti-diet dogma?
1: Yeah, it's it's just really black and white. I don't know how familiar you are with the the anti dieting space, but I know when when I got um, you know more interested in, in it, I started feeling like both on a personal level and as a practitioner, like this really really heavy sense of shame um, because I see a lot of you know people and, and practitioners in the anti diet space. There's so much policing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of policing in in between um, practitioners versus hey, like, let's not worry so much about what other practitioners are doing. And like, let's just focus on the needs of our clients. So, you know, in in this in this on this side of the spectrum, right? It's like you can't um, desire any change for your body. And that means you're you're dieting. Um, It also gets really confusing on how you can pursue health without dieting. It makes it I think it makes a lot of clients feel like, oh, well, if I eat a salad, I must be on a diet. So I guess I just need to eat pizza all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that You know, you see just as much of the black and white on the dieting side as you do sometimes on the anti-dieting side. And I think that's not, again, just not serving anyone.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because it's something I struggle with a lot because I just feel like there's guilt and shame on every side and people just don't feel safe. It's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, And I think that alone is kind of, I mean, that alone is hurting people's relationships with food.
1: Totally. Absolutely. And that's what we really focus on is, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy because as you know, myself and Isabel and my team are both dietitians. And I think a lot of people come to us and come to our programs expecting that we're just going to tell you, you know, X, Y and Z secrets for what you need to eat, how to eat. Why, when, give you like the magic, the, you know, the, the magic trick. And that's not really it. We really partner with our clients and help them kind of tune into their own internal wisdom, especially because when you've been dieting for years and years and years, sure, you've probably collected a lot of like garbage wisdom along the way, but you've also probably collected a lot of like really good data about your body. Mm-hmm. And You don't have to be on any certain diet to utilize that knowledge and to kind of really craft your own approach moving forward.
0: Yeah, I love that you say that. And I'm sure that comes from personal experience as well. So I would really like to kind of take a few steps back and dive more into your story. Um, Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, God. Okay. So tell me about your 13. What sparks it? Take me through the story.
1: Yeah. So I, I think, I'm no, I'm so glad you asked this. Um, cause it's, it's really important. So even actually before I was, you know, reached the age of 13, I just always grew up as like a chubby kid. I have like these distinct memories of being made fun of for my weight growing up in elementary school and then in middle school. And I mean, truly now, like that stuff really sticks with you and leaves an imprint. And I can still, I mean, I still have moments to this day where if someone looks at me a certain way or says a comment, I can feel myself reverting back to that little girl who was getting made fun fun of on the school bus for my double chin.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So I don't react to that through my behavior. Like I don't take care of myself any differently because I, because I have that trigger, I just know that it's there, and you know we get to to move on. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And um, in middle school, I was yeah still kind of just growing into my body, and I you know my my mom who has always been thin never had weight troubles. Um, she's a, a CPA, so very very you know just like a rational thinker. And so we'd go to Limited Two and be trying on clothes in the dressing room, and I'd be crying because nothing fit, and I'd of course then want like McDonald's to, to soothe my pain. And to her, she was like you know, again, accountant brain thinking if you want to lose weight so you can fit into your clothes, you need to like eat less and exercise more. So her in her, I mean, her trying to do the best that she could, she put me on, on weight watchers. And I can see that now that like, this was just my mom trying to do the best she could in an area where she didn't really like know a lot. But of course at the time, like I was just seeking like that validation and approval from my mom, not her trying to change me and my body. Um, so that's really, really where it all started. I mean, I was like literally like a young, a young girl going to Weight Watchers meetings in person. This was like I don't know if they still do them in person, but um, I, got, I remember we got weighed in at the desk, and then we go into the meetings and talk like strategy. And I was, I mean, definitely the youngest in there by like multiple decades. And then we'd walk out and they'd have like their shelves full of like all these like Weight Watchers processed foods. And it was just a, a, a mess. And I can't, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, how did we think that that was going to be the thing to, to really do it? But we did. And then I remember, I mean, I went, I dabbled on and off Weight Watchers for a long time, which I know a lot of people have that experience with. Um, I did. I remember I worked at a bookstore um, as like a you know store clerk when I was in high school and that was when like the Atkins Beach Diet and South Beach Diet, I think were were coming up, or having like a renaissance at least. And I remember like secretly buying the South Beach diet book at the bookstore where I worked and like going super low carb and that really didn't work. And then um through through college, when I was actually studying to become a become a dietitian, is actually when like my body insecurities and in relationship with food like became their absolute worst. Um, I had a lot of insecurities about my like chosen profession. Um, and feeling like, am I thin enough to be a registered dietitian and feeling like, Oh my gosh, I have all of this knowledge about food. I should be able to lose weight. And I think a lot of, I mean, honestly, if I'm, if I'm to be frank, like, I'm sure I, I feel like I became a dietitian in many ways to control my weight. Mm. Um, so that was when I started counting calories and counting macros and, uh, lifting a lot, like lifting weights and just exercising. So I was exercising, you know, six times a week, cardio and strength training. Counting all my macros, I meal prepped every single meal. Like, I mean, it was just so out of control. Um, and I remember, like my my best friend Emily, she's still my best friend to this day. She was like, "What? What are you doing?" Um, just like it really, really put a lot of tension on my my friendships. And I remember, you know, of course, like no guy wanted to talk to me. And I thought it was because I was too fat. But really, I think it was because this insecurity was just like emanating off of me. Um, So that was that was really, really when I reached this, this breaking point, and that was actually when I started doing, um, the, the whole 30, which for me was actually, I think a big turning point. It's when I started being able to eat more intuitively, at least from a quantity perspective. Like I wasn't counting calories as I wasn't counting macros, but I do think it started to instill some like food fears. Um, and so it was, it was, you know, it took some time after that to, to really like kind of let go, um, of, you know, the, the very like black and white nature of, of even the whole 30 to be someone who truly feels like I can now eat intuitively whatever I want. And, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really, really big journey, but like the level of freedom I feel now around food and in my body. And, um, frankly, just like making my life about something so much bigger than my body. Um, when I spent so much time of my life where that was truly like my number one focus, it's pretty, pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. What a story. I feel like so many people can relate. I have 500 questions to dive into here. So (laughs) please brace yourself. Um, So first of all, after having, well, through the journey of trying all those different diets and macro counting and Atkins and Weight Watchers, during that time, did you notice changes in your body? Like did, did your weight fluctuate or did it just always stay the same?
1: Okay. So that is like the craziest part of it. Now looking back, I have seriously, for my entire life, or that entire period at least, basically been vacillating between plus or minus 10 pounds of where I am right now. Mm. And that was a huge kind of point of awakening for me to realize okay. So I can like throw my social life down the toilet, be crazy around food, count everything, use exercise as punishment, all of that to weigh like 10 pounds less than I weigh if I just do none of those things and yeah. you know take care of myself from, you know, even now if I were to really just do nothing and like eat like a jerk and like never work out. Like my body really wouldn't change, um, all that much because you know, we have our, our where our bodies want to be comfortable and, and all that. So that was when I kind of realized I was like, okay, this is crazy. I can, okay. So I can do the work of punishing myself of restricting of all that. Before I can do the work of learning to accept myself and these 10 pounds that just want to be on my body, what, what work do I want to do? And for me, the path of least resistance was like the path of acceptance. And it just, so it also turns out that like, while pursuing that path of of acceptance, so much else has like opened up for me in in my life.
0: Yeah. And I, I definitely want to spend some time talking about. What that looked like when, you know, you're saying you basically threw your social life out the window and I had that same experience like when I was going through that time where I was at the gym lifting weights six days a week and like my whole life revolved around when am I eating, what am I eating and what time am I working out and I would not hang out with friends, right, to like eat a certain thing and work out at a certain time. And I think now, I mean, circling back to how pursuing health and wellness and being fit is you know, something that's really sexy right now, people don't know what's normal and what's not, you know, people don't know, like, what's the line between Yeah, maybe you feel good when you work out, you prioritize it versus like, this is too far. And, you know, you're not seeing friends anymore.
1: Right? Yeah. So how do you walk that line? You mean, Yeah, I
0: think a lot of people, especially in college, because I think both of us kind of went through that. In those Mm -hmm. years, it's like, you can't, you don't even know what's normal. You know, it took me a long time to figure out, wait, this is not normal that I'm spending so much time on food and fitness and not relationships.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So something we have our clients do in the very beginning of foundations is a values exercise um, where they determine kind of their core values. And then every 30 days in the program, we have them revisit those core values and create goals based on them. Mm -hmm. And that values work is so incredibly important because it really like it's you again, looking inward and determining what you want your life to be about. And for a lot of our clients like health, you know, is one of their core values makes a lot of sense. That's why they want to work with us. Um, They, you know, want to prioritize their health, but they Recognize that dieting is not is not the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's about thinking, okay, if health is your value, then what does that look like? And keeping in mind that health is not just just physical. And thinking about, you know, again, looking at your history, what has worked for you and what hasn't, and how do you pull pull you know pull out the things that have worked for you and implement them into a strategy that also makes room for the other values in your life so if your other values are community or growth or family relationships then like you have to find that that middle ground and that balance
0: yeah I love that I think it's also it's scary for people because you know you realize you are clinging to this for control it's like Mm -hmm. why is it so scary for us to go from working out six days a week to three right but it's just this control
1: Well, it's so funny. I get, I get that response a lot, um, on, on social media and stuff. When I ask people about, you know, what, what is, what is holding you back from letting go of dieting? And that's like one of the number one things I hear is, well, I'm just scared I'm going to lose control. And whenever I hear that, I always make a point to message that person. And I ask them like, well, do you feel like you're in control now? And the response is always like, No. Because most of us, like, yeah, we may, maybe we have those periods. And this was my experience. I had those periods where I was working out six days a week and, you know, going really hardcore. But then ultimately at the end of the week or the end of the month, I would be out binge drinking with my friends and I'd be, you know, my inhibitions would be lowered. I'd be eating. We had this, I, I went to UT Austin and there was this truck, uh, food truck called Chilantro, and they had kimchi fries. It was like French fries covered in cheese and kimchi and it's just like criminal how good they are. Uh, but I'd be like stuffing my face with kimchi fries, wake up on, you know, Friday morning or Saturday morning. feel super guilty and the cycle would start all over again. Mm -hmm. So, and I had no control. I felt like I was completely controlled by food. I was completely controlled by my workout schedule. And now I feel like I have way more, I don't don't necessarily love the word control. I like the word like autonomy or agency. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like I have full autonomy and agency over what I'm doing with my body, what I'm nourishing, how I'm nourishing myself, how I'm exercising, how I'm not exercising. Whereas before all of my actions were determined by my workout schedule, my food schedule, and the number on the scale.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I mean, I feel like I always have a conversation with people because they, they are trying to have control, and I'm like, you're not in control right now. That's why you're here, right? No. Um, another thing you touched on that I I want to talk about a little bit is about how you thought guys didn't want to date you because you weren't thin enough, but really it was because of that insecurity you were just exuding. Um, and I think this is a really common thing that women don't realize. Um, yeah. And I know, like, okay, from my perspective, at my highest weight, I have attracted the most people. And when I was, like, when I thought my body looked the best, no one was coming. And I really yes. think it was because of that energy, that that insecurity that you're exuding. It's, like, not approachable.
1: Totally. I had the exact same experience. <laughs>
0: So when did you meet your fiance now?
1: Um, we met, let's see, February of 2018.
0: Okay. And- so I'm like, looking- yeah, yeah almost. Like- <laughs> so, so I'm curious, like with all this work you do, what does he have to say about about all this work?
1: <laughs> he's, he's right in front of me right now, uh, opening the Instant Pot. <laughs> you know, I think about this a lot with, with me getting married, because that has brought on this new kind of onslaught of body comments of diet thoughts. And mm-hmm. all. That. And I think something to make note of is like on this journey, success is not, you know, loving your body every day. It's not, you know, never having a diet related thought. It's not never wanting to lose weight. It's like recognizing that those thoughts are going to come up, but you don't necessarily have to act on them. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely experienced that in this, you know, process of getting married. So I've had like the urge to, oh, maybe I should like cut back. Maybe I should work out more, all of that. And I think about my relationship with John and like, okay, John, you know, the day we met, I, this is pretty much exactly how I looked. Um, and he, he loves me now and loves me unconditionally, but he might not really like me all that much. If I go back to being the crazy version of myself that I was in college where I was obsessive about food and, you know, couldn't go on date nights or what have you.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I find that sometimes like with my clients, like if they get in a relationship, it's so good for them because they cannot get away with shit when a guy is watching. Like you ha- you go on yeah. dates and you don't want to be the weird one who does not eating, right?
1: Right. Hopefully if he's like the right person, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people too have the opposite experience of like feeling more body pressure
0: mm-hmm. yeah. based
1: on their, their partner, which is, you know, obviously a, <laughs> it's a, a, a slightly different issue.
0: Yeah. So... I mean, I think that the bridal pre-wedding space is super intense Mm -hmm. and I've had quite a few friends. I have a couple of friends who are getting married in the next year or so who are like not in the health nutrition space at all. Like, you know, I don't hear from them that often. And it's interesting how many of them have reached out to me after getting engaged saying, (laughs) hey, I'm like really stressed out because I feel like I need to lose weight because my mother-in-law is saying this and my sister is saying this and I mean it breaks my heart and so I would kind of love to hear your perspective on like the approach in the bridal space and if anyone listening is engaged right now and feeling that pressure with their bodies and changing their size like what what would you say to them?
1: Yeah oh it's so it's so huge and even even I, the the two days after I got engaged, I got messaged by like a weight loss coach. Oh and <laughs> so not only do we have this, you know, internal pressure, which I definitely want to touch on, but there's also these like external, you know, we become like future brides are truly like prey mm-hmm. to this industry. And it's it's so upsetting and, and something that I really created the intention of when I got engaged. First it was like, Okay, I'm committing to John, and then it was like, and I'm also committing to myself and to my self-care. And really what that means for me. Right. So that does include exercise and that does include, you know, eating, you know, nourishing foods, but it doesn't mean pushing it, you know, over the line. And so, you know, to, to the end of what you said about your friend and and her mother in law, I think it's one thing to want to change your body for yourself, but you most certainly do not have to change your body for anyone else, you know, regardless of what your, your mom or your mother in law is doing in preparation for the wedding. Like you don't have to follow that that lead um i can't think of like a worse reason to to change your body than for someone else's like approval um, I also think, you know, I had a friend who got married and she was really worried because she didn't have this like body transformation. And she said, do you think people are going to care that I didn't lose a bunch of weight for my wedding? And I was like, oh, my gosh, no, I hope not. And if they do care, you need to take them off your guest list because yeah. they're not your people. Um, so that's one thing. But also, I think a lot of us do just have this. We have our own internal the, the, the pressures we put on ourselves to look a certain way in a wedding dress. And I think, again, it goes back to looking inward, setting that intention. Like, what do you want? You know, if you've got a year until you get engaged or I'm sorry, until you get married, what do you want that year to look like for you? Um, what do you want? What does self-care look like for you from both a, a health perspective, physical health perspective and also a mental health perspective? Also recognizing, you know, I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on how they're going to look in the wedding dress and how they're going to look in in photos what happens with a lot of people when they go on these crazy crash diets leading up to the wedding and maybe they do lose a bunch of weight. Well, then as soon as they, you know, I've, I've known people who gain all their weight back on their honeymoon and then they look back at their wedding photos. And now it's not like this beautiful, this beautiful photo of you with your, you know, forever mate and all of your loved ones. It's like a before and after picture, Mm -hmm. right? And it becomes your goal weight photo, which in my mind is just it really tarnishes that experience. Um, so that's, that, that was something that I really kept in mind was like, okay, thinking about the photos, all that also recognizing that no matter what weight you are, there are going to be photos where you just think you look like booty. And like, that's something, if you can go into that experience, knowing is going to happen, it's really, really empowering. Cause you can just say, Oh, okay. I you know, here's a bad photo of myself that I was totally expecting to see, like no big deal. And that's something that, again, that you can can and, and arguably should do at any body size.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you read up the, the photos because I always think about that. I'm like, don't you want to look at your wedding pictures and l- like, f- look like yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah. You know? I think a lot of people don't though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, w- I would want to look at myself, but I think what's also interesting is how it's not even just the bride that has all this pressure. I noticed that, you know, the mom wants to lose weight, sister wants to lose weight. It's like everyone who's going to be at the wedding and in photos wants to lose weight.
1: Yes. It's so true. And that's where, again, like it comes down to like setting that really clear intention and just staying true to that. If, if you are like determined to just care for yourself and prioritize your health, um, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, all that throughout the process, then like that is what you have to do. And you have to recognize like, listen, you shouldn't waste your time worrying if your, your mom or your mother-in-law or your sister are going to want to lose weight. They probably are. So like, don't waste your time worrying about it. Spend your time and energy thinking about how you're going to react to their dieting efforts and their diet talk. Like that is where your your energy is best spent.
0: A lot of amazing information from Claire, but I want to just take a brief pause to tell you about today's podcast sponsor, Blue Blocks. If you struggle with hormonal imbalances, sleep struggles, whether that be staying asleep through the night or just falling asleep, if you deal with headaches or migraines during the day, low energy levels, feeling overloaded with stress and anxiety, then you definitely want to look into wearing blue light blocking glasses daily. These have been a game changer for me. They have totally transformed my sleep and thus my daily productivity and energy levels and mood throughout the rest of the day. I also notice a huge difference in my hunger levels when I don't wear my blue blockers because they help me get the best sleep in the world, which regulates my hormones so that the next day I am as insulin sensitive as possible and can really trust my hunger signals. There are so many blue light blocking glasses out there on the market, but these are the only ones 100% backed by the science. Those orange glasses are not doing enough. They're not blocking the full blue and green light spectrum that you need to in order to optimize your sleep. So this is what I recommend. Getting a pair of blue blocks sleep plus red lenses for when the sun goes down, when it gets dark, this will really help to promote your sleep and reduce any anxiety, relax you, get you as much REM and deep sleep as possible. And then during the day, either using the blue light clear lens, which is a blue light filtering lens for people who work in more natural lighting during the day. And this will help reduce any migraines, headaches, digital eye strain. I'm someone who works on the computer, so I use these every single day. Get either those if you work under natural lighting or the Summer Glow Yellow Lens, which is blue light blocking meets color therapy. These are meant for daytime use as well, but these are best for people who work under intense artificial lighting or who struggle with seasonal depression. These will help reduce any migraines, anxiety, or digital eye strain as well. And if you really want your sleep to be amazing, check out their Remedy Sleep Mask, which is a 100% light blocking sleep mask that truly blocks out all light during the night. You can pick from one of their 20 different frames. There's definitely a frame for everyone. I personally have the Parker frames, love those, but you can also send in your own frames or use their custom made prescription service if you need that. And for every purchase, Blue Locks donates a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision who gifts them to someone in need so you're helping someone in need when you purchase. If you are ready to massively improve your sleep, balance out your hormones, and improve your energy levels check out the Blue Blocks blue light blocking glasses. Just go to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use my discount code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S will get you 15% off. All right, guys, let's go ahead and hop back into this chat with Claire Siegel. So what advice do you have for people in terms of when the people around them are engaging in diet talk?
1: Yeah, so this is really – this can be really hard. And this is hard for anyone, you know, bride, not bride, anyone who is, like, really trying to pursue their health without dieting because it is still – not the norm. Um, It is not the cultural norm to not be dieting, even if you don't recognize it as dieting, like you were saying before. So there are a few things you can do. I mean, I think one is that you always have permission to dismiss yourself from a conversation and it doesn't have to be like a big show. Like you can literally just be like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom or I'm going to go grab a drink or whatever. Right. So you can just you can just excuse yourself. That's that's a big one. Um, Another thing that you can do is to kind of stand up for yourself and even, you know, maybe provide a point of education if you're feeling really strong in, in, you know, on the subject and in kind of your groundedness in it, um, and kind of just share, you know, for me and my experience, um, dieting has, has really not worked that well for me. And I'm actually not trying to lose weight for my wedding because I know my weight will just, you know, bounce right back and maybe even more, Um, actually dieting is, is shown to increase your set point weight over time. So it really just depends on like your level of comfortability, I guess, with, uh, with this idea of like, approaching health through diet, I think a play a good place to start is always like with your experience and your own story. And also recognizing that, listen, if your mother-in-law wants to do three back-to-back whole thirties in, in the, um, in the time leading up to your wedding, if she feels like that's working for her, then like, let, let her do that. Um, because it doesn't have to affect your impact, your experience and your life and how you choose to take care of yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, since you brought up the whole 30, I really want to talk about whole 30 um, okay, because you're a Whole30 coach, right? Um, and I, yeah, or,
1: I was, yeah. So I, I resigned several months ago, actually.
0: Okay, so is that because of, are you? Do you know Dana Montes from Real Food with Dana? I do. I, I don't, I don't know her. I know of her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she had, she was a Whole30 coach, and she stopped because she felt like it was feeding into disordered eating, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, is that why you resigned as well?
1: I don't know if it was so directly that, I mean, I, I, there are things that I really like about the whole 30. Um, there are things about it, you know, on my own personal journey that were really, really helpful. And in fact, when we first started doing, um, nutritional freedom, the whole 30 was actually part of the program and, as we kind of grew as a company and worked with more and more people, what we saw was that there were aspects of the program that did like instill those kind of food fears um, that, you know, just any sort of like black and white, yes foods, no foods kind of list can do. And so what we really challenged ourselves to do as practitioners is say like, okay, here, here are all the great things that our clients are getting out of this, this program and here are all the potential, you know, drawbacks um, and, and kind of side effects that come from it. How can we craft our own client experience and our own program that cashes in on many, many of those benefits without any of the potential negative side effects? Um, and that's where it just became kind of a, a misalignment. And I didn't want to, you know, I just wanted to be frank with the the team. I think the, you know, the, the ladies of the Whole 30, I think, have the best of intentions, but. The, the truth is that, again, like I said, dieting is more about what's going on in, in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that with the creation of the Whole30, they didn't intend to, to create a diet. But once it is, you know, out of the book and into the mind of, of any, uh, you know, client or, or person, it's totally up to them whether they turn it into a diet or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where it's tricky because it's like it's not the Whole30 itself. It's what people do with it. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people who, you know, I actually myself have an autoimmune disease. So there are aspects of it that were really healing for me. And I know a lot of people have that experience too. And there's ways of, you know, going about, you know, I think toggling with your food and your nutrition that can come from a place of self-care and that aren't a diet, but for the you know, vast majority of the, the healthy population, I, I see it maybe causing a little bit more, more harm than it, than it needs to.
0: In what way do you see it causing harm?
1: Yeah. So what I see a lot is people have done, you know, gosh, like at this point, now that it's been out for so long, people, you know, I've seen tons of people have done probably like 10 whole 30s and they feel really, really good when they're on the whole 30 from a, a physical perspective, maybe even from a mental perspective. But there are sacrifices they're making along the way. Like we, you know, we talked about social life is one of them. Um, I think quality of life in many ways can be one of them. And so no matter how good they feel physically or mentally at the end of that experience they you know end up caving on day 36 or whatever and they end up you know elbow deep in a pizza and a bottle of wine for example and they and then they kind of just continue down that path that like okay well screw it i already messed up so i'm going to just keep eating all the things until my next whole 30 and what it does is really subconsciously i think on on many levels it creates this basically like I'm caring for my health if I'm on the Whole30 and I cannot care for my health if I'm not on the Whole30. It creates, again, this very black and white kind of dichotomous approach to health, which just is not sustainable long-term.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So then what parts of the Whole30 do you feel like are really helpful? Yeah. I mean,
1: I love the focus on like being just intentional with, with food. I think it, reinforces this idea of like paying attention to your hunger and fullness cues of eating what really well-rounded meals of not being afraid of fat, um, focus on, on veggies. Um, you know, again, being intentional around like planning your meals and meal prepping around, you know, even like, I think there is a lot of self-care built into it around drinking water and and prioritizing sleep, but all of that stuff you can do also while you're not on the whole 30. And I think that's what a lot of people miss in that transition from, you know, Whole30 to what they call food freedom.
0: Yeah. I, I'm i curious, this brings up for me the conversation around moderators versus abstainers. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious what you think about that whole idea. Some people are moderators and feel best, you know, like, having a little bit of everything and that stops them from like binging on stuff if they can moderate versus other people who are abstainers who just do best cutting things completely out of their diet. It's like where, how do you feel about that, that conversation?
1: Yeah, that's a a really good one. And I've, I've written a blog post way back, um, about moderators versus abstainers. And I think my opinion honestly has evolved a little bit, um, I think a lot of people self-identify as abstainers, but if they were to really look at their behavior over a longer period of time, longer than 30 days, they might question that self-identification, right? So a lot of people will say like, "Oh, I can, you know, I can go 30 days without gluten dairy, this that and the other." But then again, as soon as like day 31, 32, 36, whatever rolls around, it's like that sense of control is completely lost. Um, but I do also think that there are people who are better at, at moderating. So it's really, again, about like looking inward at your own personal experience and your own history and also thinking about, you know, when you're abstaining, are you abstaining from foods that you love or are you abstaining from foods that make you feel like crap, you know? And I think a lot of people, um, you know especially like in the autoimmune space and in like the you know healing diet space i think we see a lot of people who are able to very easily truly abstain from things like gluten and dairy because the um the the side effects are just so severe right so extension yeah. feels really easy in that case but i think a lot of people think because they can successfully do a whole 30 that they're abstainers but in reality, if you look at their behavior during non whole thirty periods, just using whole thirty as an example, um, then maybe that's not quite the case. So if you feel like I can control, you know, my relationship to pastries and cheese and all that when I'm on the whole thirty, but I can't when I'm, you know, not on the whole thirty, then maybe it's maybe it's time to reevaluate and really think about if that label is is serving you or not.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and also ties into why certain ways of eating might seem restrictive to some people and they're not for others. Like yeah. I know for me, people will just the other day, someone was like, how do you eat gluten-free? It's so restrictive. And I'm like, well, every time I eat gluten, I throw up and <laughs> pull my brains out for like three days. So it's really, it's freeing for me to avoid that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. And
1: I think there are people who might, you know, look at, you know, you being gluten-free and say, well, like that's restriction, but come on. Like, again, like, that's where we have to, like, look at the person, right? Mm-hmm. Not at the, the the dogma of any given approach.
0: Yeah. So this wraps into just the intuitive eating movement in general. Um, mm-hmm. And the intuitive eating space, I mean, I think this, this is related back to, like, the diet, anti-diet thing. Yeah. I feel like the intuitive eating space is it's really hard for me right now. It's like emotional because I feel like, again, it's like shaming on both sides. It's like yeah. intuitive eating for some people has turned into shaming people who want to eat a salad, right? Yeah. So whats what does is, what, what is intuitive eating really mean? Yeah, so
1: a lot of people, I think, really distill intuitive eating down to eating what you want, when you want, however much you want, and there is like a lot of intuitive eating that is just that. But there's also a lot of it that is not so simple. Um, There is a lot more thought and kind of critical analysis that goes on in the intuitive eating experience that I don't see a lot of kind of coverage on um, when I scroll through social media. So, you know, when you're eating intuitively, for example, um, you know, let's say you're faced with the choice between like a cheeseburger and a salad. I think a lot of people, you know, again, just glossing over intuitive eating would say, well, I just always want a freaking burger, right? Like why would I choose a salad? Well, you might choose a salad if you are going to go to a workout class in two hours, or you might choose a salad because that actually just sounds really freaking good to you right now. Um, you might choose a salad for any number of reasons and you're still eating intuitively. You're not on a diet and you're also not denying yourself the, the burger if that is what you really wanted in that moment. Um, so food neutrality is a huge component of intuitive eating. And for that reason, you know, they talk about no good foods and no bad foods. I think that's why, you know, the donut has kind of become the emblem of intuitive eating. And, and it does, right? Like intuitive eating does, you know, it doesn't demonize things like donuts or pastries or pizza, burgers, whatever, but it also doesn't kind of, um, bash broccoli salads things like that like when foods are neutral that means they are all neutral and again I think that's where the the you know movement gets a little bit bastardized on social media and also where I think consumers are really confused because they're like well okay dieting isn't working for me but I also want to be healthy. And if I'm going to eat intuitively, I'm probably just going to eat pizza and donuts all the time. So that's not going to work for me either. Mm-hmm. And so people just end up really stuck and unsatisfied and kind of doing nothing, like waffling in this middle ground. And,
0: and that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So how do people start to actually eat intuitively?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the journey is going to be different for everyone, just depending on where you're coming from. I would say the first thing that we have to do is to remove restriction. And when I say that, I mean, you know, removing physical restriction as it makes sense for you, right? So, like you were saying, if you eat gluten, you throw up and poop your brains out. You should not necessarily bring gluten back in, like that. You don't have to do that. I think that's another misconception. Like you don't have to bring anything in that actively makes you feel like crap. But if you have these like fear foods and um, things like that, then bring those in. So that's like the the physical restriction piece and giving yourself the unconditional permission to eat food. Um, What often comes once we remove the, the physical restriction, so let's say I wasn't eating brownies before because I was, you know, kind of in this like paleo space. Well, okay, well now I'm eating like, you know, full flour, butter, you know, brownies. But every time I eat this brownie, so I've removed the physical restriction, but every time I eat it, I'm still feeling really guilty and feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. So that's a form of mental restriction, right, where you're kind of guilting and shaming yourself for eating these previously um, forbidden foods. Either one of those are going to create a lot of friction in your experience. Um, so we have to kind of give ourselves full, unconditional permission to eat without guilt, without shame, without without fear, which is really hard. Like that's where I think that going on the intuitive eating journey, it really helps to have to be partnered with a, a practitioner of some sort. Just to be like, hey, this is normal. I know it's scary. It's going to be okay. And keep going
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in many ways. I think another a big step that I, I kind of skipped over there was really putting down dieting or at least being open to putting down dieting. Um, and I think no better way of doing that. There's there's two things that you can do to really convince yourself that diets have not worked for you. One, you can read the research. <laughs> Look at the research for any, you know... When you look at long-term studies, it shows you time and time and time again, it's really nuts that diets don't work. So that's one way. But a lot of people can be like, okay, yeah, maybe it doesn't work for like 98, 99% of the population, but like, you know, it's working for me. I think the best way to really determine whether or not you're done with dieting is to look at your own history and look at how dieting has served you maybe in some ways. I think a lot of us get a lot of like value and meaning, frankly, from like our new diet of the week. Um... But how has it also gotten in your way of your your health, your quality of life? Has it brought you the benefits it told you it would? Did it promote long-term weight loss? Did it promote you know long-term sustained health and health habits or not? Did it really just blow up in your face after a month or six months or a year or two?
0: Yeah, well, do you think everyone should be intuitive eating?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. I think, what I think is that, intuitive eating is available to everyone, but I don't think it looks the same for everyone by any means. And I think that's when we get into kind of intuitive eating in terms of chronic disease and stuff like that. That's really where, um, there's a lot of nuance built in a lot of looking inward of understanding what's happening physically, what's happening mentally, what's happening emotionally, what's happening with my, my health and my labs. Um, so eating intuitively, I think is available to everyone, but it's going to look different based on you as a, as a person as an individual.
0: Yeah, I think it's such a tricky line. And I have this conversation a lot, like, okay, I'll give a very simple example. I have a client who just a horrible blood sugar regulation, and I just really need her to eat some protein with all of her meals. And she's yeah. just like, I just don't crave protein. I just don't want it. It doesn't feel good. Like, I'm just trying to eat what my body wants. And I'm like, you know, it took me months to get her to finally just try to add a serving of protein with all of her meals. And now she feels so much better. She's not starving throughout the day. She's not crashing. She has energy. And I'm like, in that case, like, what you think is intuitive eating is eating intuitively. It wasn't really, right? So sometimes the body can send us. Signals because it's not in it's not in a state of balance yet, so it, it's sending us the wrong signals.
1: Yeah, that's a, a great point. And again, like where working with a practitioner can be so helpful because I'm sure that now she's felt the benefits of eating in a more you know balanced nutritional way. This will become her intuitive way of eating. Like we we like to feel good in our bodies, and I mm-hmm. think that's you know where as practitioners we can help our clients rebuild that you know body trust and like mind body trust and, and help kind of guide them along that journey. But once they experience that feeling of feeling really good, that is what like our brain starts to, um, you know, kind of ping us (laughs) to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that's why I think like, I don't know, I think it's really hard to eat intuitively if you don't even know what, what feeling good feels like.
1: (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, really great point. And that's where I think, you know, the, so gentle nutrition is the very last, um, principle of intuitive eating and i don't necessarily always agree with it putting it last for mm-hmm. for every single person for some people like they really cannot think about nutrition until they're you know fully like done with dieting fully listen to their fully listening to their hunger and fullness cues all of that stuff mm-hmm. for some people considering nutrition is going to be incredibly helpful for them to tune into
0: all of that stuff yeah i don't, i was just thinking about dieting triggers and like because I just feel like this is rampant and body image even if it's not dieting it's like body image and like body dysmorphia and yeah. this process of feeling at home on your body and becoming comfortable with your body mm-hmm. are there any exercises that you recommend people do to help start to get comfortable with with their body and kind of break through that body dysmorphia
1: yeah so I mean I have to say that I think For most people, the only reason we care so much about food, the only reason we have these crazy relationships with food, the only reason we've spent so much money on dieting and all this is because of body image Mm -hmm. stuff and, and our fear of gaining weight and all of this. So yeah, it's like almost impossible to have these conversations around food without addressing like the elephant in the room, which is our fears and concerns around our body. And no matter what size we are, we're affected you know, by this. And it's arguably worse if we're in larger bodies, but even for people in smaller bodies, I like to have a lot of, I guess, just empathy across the body spectrum. Um, and I encourage that among our clients who come in all different, you know, shapes and sizes that listen, you might look at someone in this room and they're in a bigger body than you, or they're in a smaller body than you. And instead of judging yourself against them, instead of using their body as a yardstick. Recognize that, like, we're all in this. You know, we're all. We it's the the really shitty thread that unites us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so instead of you know pitting yourself against any other woman, why don't we like join together and share this like unlimited, endless empathy towards one another? Um, so that's like one. I don't know if that's necessarily an exercise, but I know that's something that's really helped me. Yeah. You know, whenever I w- walk into it, this is like my trigger. Whenever I walk into like a group fitness class, my my you know first thing i do is like look at the bodies of the other women and kind of start to compare myself and again like i've just noticed this is a trigger of mine and that's where i kind of got this like empathy tool recognizing that whether this woman is also in the gym because she has body you know maybe she's in here because she has body concerns or weight concerns or maybe she really is just here to you know to get strong and feel good in her body like i am at this point she probably at some point in her journey has been somewhere very similar to me. So instead of comparing myself to her, I can just like give her a head nod and know that like we're kind of, you know, sisters in this <laughs> uh, for for fear of sounding corny. Um, that's one thing. I think the the true like exercise I would love to, to give your listeners is to stop following people on social media that make you feel like crap about your body. Yes. Like that is one of the easiest like – just low lift things that you can do to instantly feel better about your body without having to change anything about your body, what you're eating, how you're exercising anything. And it's really crazy to watch those like negative body image um, thoughts just like fade away when that trigger, that impetus is gone.
0: Yeah. I think that's a big one and people are so resistant to that. They are. They they don't even realize that it's happening. Yeah, it is.
1: It's, (laughs) so, so, so toxic. And again, like I've had to do this multiple times. Like I'm very much like as much as I'm like a leader in this space, I'm also in my own journey. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I was in, um, a, a, a business group for like health coaches and it ended up being like a ton of personal trainers. And I was like one of the only people kind of sharing my message. And I realized I was following all of them for like moral support and, you know, kind of strategy. And it was a lot of like you know, six days a week workout plans, macros, all that, you know, weight loss tracking. And I had to like unfollow basically all of them because I was like, this is not good to my, that's not good for my mental health, for my business health, anything.
0: Yeah. Well, I think people who are in the nutrition, fitness, health, wellness space need to be the most aware because I feel yeah. like they're most vulnerable to this. Like when this is all you're seeing, all your peers are looking this way, putting out this type of content, you're following people for business, quote, it totally fucks with your head.
1: Totally. Oh, my God. Yeah, That's that was, again, like one of the best things I've, I've done for myself. And then I've also un- had to unfollow people who are maybe even more aligned with my message, mm-hmm. um, or at least at face value are, because, again, I start to lose sight of like the Individual needs of our individual clients and start thinking in like Instagram memes. (laughs) It's just like, not
0: okay. Yeah, well, and I think also like unfollowing the people who, you know, you see the picture and you don't feel good about yourself or you compare yourself, but also bodies aside, like moving away from the body Mm -hmm. side of things for a second, just like if the messaging is triggering. I think there are so many people who are trying to put out helpful information, but trigger certain people like I think about all the people who say you know only eat until you're 80% full like don't eat until you're 100% full or like make sure you don't eat three hours before bed and it's like they're well-meaning but there's a big population where messaging like that can really mess with someone's relationship with food
1: totally totally something that I've just thought about a lot is in this space is that there's always going to be someone who's wrong yeah. You know, and I'm really tired of like being made to feel wrong, especially like as a woman. And I don't want to instill that up, upon other women, especially other women who aren't like necessarily coming to me for like guidance and advice, right? It's like one thing if a client asks me, like, hey, like I'm doing X, Y, or Z for this meal, is like this is the best idea? Mm-hmm. But like putting out those, again, very black and white, you know, one size fits all, one option messages it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for everyone. And then people end up spinning their wheels, trying to, um, you know, trying to comply with an approach with an approach that was never meant for them.
0: Yeah. God, I'm so glad you said that about like, just being tired of being made to feel wrong. Cause I feel like that's <laughs> yeah. such an issue. And the problem is that it's because there are so many people on the internet who just want to be right. Yes. Like, and yeah. I'm like, can we just release that? Like. Oh my God. <laughs> giving
1: myself the freedom to be wrong was just amazing.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> It was liberating. a very
1: experience. Oh my gosh. Yes. And giving myself permission to evolve and all of that. Yes. It's incredibly liberating. It's, it's really scary, but it's fun.
0: Yeah. And this is the. You know, there are pros and cons to social media, right? And this is, like, a big one. It's, like, I think there's so many people on there helping people with their messaging, but also so much uh, disordered messaging going on. And I think it can be really hard to find that balance. And it's, like, I know I feel conflicted all the time about the, the space in general, the health and wellness space.
1: It's yeah. I, f- I mean, I agree. I feel that way too. I'm, I've been known to joke that like, man, I wish I could just like move to Portland and start selling like jam at a farmer's market. <laughs> like, yes. why did I choose? Or like, maybe I should like organize people's closets or like make ceramics or like, why did I choose a profession that's so, um, you know, you just have to get in the weeds, not only with your clients, but also again, with, with other practitioners too.
0: Yeah, you really do. Something I want to bring up we wrap up that's relevant is the health at every size movement
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so how are you feeling about that space i feel like a lot of this overlaps with intuitive eating and anti-dieting um but i feel like i mean i get i haven't like done a podcast about this before but i get so many questions into the podcast asking me like to talk about the health at every size movement because i think people are confused because it's like yeah we want body positivity but but does the health at every size movement go too far?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question. So again, I think it's like this, this idea of a principle, um, or a set of, you know, a set of principles or, or guiding, you know, kind of guiding theories versus the people who, who I guess share them online. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think it's a space where like a lot of there's a lot of shaming and a lot of, you know, finger wagging. And I can't believe you would say that. And, you know, at times, I think it can be overly politically correct um, to a point where like, what are we even talking about anymore? And like, are we still helping people? Um, But again, I see that more and more between practitioners than I do in the space where like a practitioner is supporting a client. Mm -hmm. So from just like a, a from the, the, the standpoint of health at every size is like a theory and a movement and like what it's truly about. I really support it. And I really do support this idea that like you can be healthy at, at any size and that health is not, um, not, not, I shouldn't say you can be healthy. It's not you as an individual, but what I mean is that health does not come in a predetermined size right? I think every person as an individual has a size that, you know, happens to correspond with them living a life that's in alignment with their values and in which they're practicing health behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, but that size is not the same for every single person. I know, you know, again, in my weight journey, um, the only time I've been kind of in the average weight or normal weight, I guess, um, in the BMI scale is when I was like, starving myself, exercising like crazy, had no social life. I have have been and always probably will be in the overweight category. And as soon as I let that go and really thought about, okay, what does health mean to me? You know, from a a behavior standpoint, from a mental standpoint, it was really, really freeing. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily always agree with like how, again, how, how health at every size haze gets portrayed online. And I really hate I mean, sometimes those arguments, if you just, like, spend time on the rabbit hole on, co- you know, the comments, it's it's really – it's it's hard to see and hard to watch. Um, so, again, I think it's, like – sometimes there's, like, I think a missing element of just, like, respect and, like, you do you. And, like, if what you're doing is working for you and not harming others, then, like, go for it. <laughs> um but I don't see a lot of that. I don't necessarily see, you know, I think at its, at its, at its peak, at its worst, at its, at its most extreme, there is a lot of that shaming and finger wagging.
0: Yeah. I think people, once again, it's like taking a concept and twisting it to how they, how they want to see it. And a lot of people focus a lot on the every size part, not the health part. Yeah. <laughs> and since you brought up like the BMI scale, I'm curious how you feel about doctors using <laughs> using that because it's something that really troubles me and in working with so many clients when we were like working back to when they feel like they originally they originally got sort of triggered to start thinking about their bodies for so many women. They tell yeah. me it was it was because I was twelve and my doctor told me I I yeah. wasn't in the right BMI category that they wanted yeah. me to be in
1: it's, it's such a real thing. I know I've personally had that experience many, many times with doctors, like from a very young age. Um, Oh gosh. So there's, there's a lot that needs to be changed. I think for people to be treated with respect in our healthcare system, you know, regardless of what size they have, Mm -hmm. uh, or what, I'm sorry, what size they are. And so I think from I guess from the the healthcare practitioner standpoint, from the doctor's standpoint, like really again looking inward, looking thinking about am I giving the same kind of medical advice and medical guidance to a, a person in a smaller body as I am to a person in a larger body? Or am I given this really like kind of pointed, weight focused weight loss as a prescription message to someone in a larger body, but you know, if she also if someone in a smaller body came in with the same earache for example, I would give her totally different, you know, mm-hmm. advice. And how, and am I giving, you know, these two people the same level of respect or not? Am I taking the time to ask them questions and know their story? I think that's a huge piece of it too, is that I think doctors don't have enough time with their patients. Um, and so even, you know, when someone walks in in a, in a smaller body, like you should you should t- be able to i i wish doctors had the time to you know ask them more questions again larger or smaller body about their weight history about their history with food before making these prescriptive you know health uh, or i should say like eat eating and exercise prescriptions mm-hmm. um because you just don't know how that's gonna necessarily hit someone,
0: yeah, I mean I think also just the b m i scale it's like it's just bullshit <laughs> like yeah. oh so. <laughs> Like yeah, you can be in the obese category if you're super muscular. Totally. Oh yeah, and a lot of people are. Yeah. So I
1: think that's where you know, okay, like taking down the healthcare system aside, as patients, you can be really imp- you can go into a doctor's office feeling very empowered and very educated, and you also have a lot of like you have you have power in that mm-hmm. relationship, right? Like you are the customer. So if you don't want to be weighed, guess what? You don't have to be weighed. And I really encourage you before you go into the doctor if you're having these you know concerns and fears like kind of like, I was going to say man up, but I, I don't it's probably not the right, right way of putting it. But like, go in feeling empowered, feeling educated and and speak your, your needs and speak your truth. And don't feel like there's definitely this like kind of power play between, you know, not always intentionally, of course, like I think many doctors, of course, are, are most doctors are well-meaning and they want to care for their, their patients. Um, but we have to recognize as patients that we are still, our biggest advocates are this, you know, we're, I am the CEO of my health. You are the CEO of your health. And so you have to be able to go into a doctor's office and, you know, show up, you know, ready to, to advocate for your own needs, whatever that means.
0: Yes. So glad you said that. I think that people feel like when they're in a doctor's office, they're the authority figure and they're just like, you know, helpless hands tied. And we, like you said, we are the customers, like you have agency there. Totally, totally.
1: And, and I think a lot of healthcare providers and and doctors, you know, especially as time goes on are, they, they want, they want to do better, right? Like they recognize, okay, you know, I, me diet, you know, circling in red, this person's BMI number and sending them on their way is not really working. So they want to do better. And unfortunately I think it's just like such a systemic issue. Again, it goes down to like insurance. It comes down to like the time that doctors have with patients. Like it's, it's really, really challenging, and that's where I think, okay, it's a big systemic issue that, like, we've got to figure out, but in the meantime, in terms of the individual, in terms of the patient, you do have a lot more power than you maybe think you do.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good empowering note to wrap up with. And yeah. as my last question, so if someone is listening to this and – they're like, I'm ready to just stop dining. I feel out of control. I'm working out too much and I know it, but I'm afraid to like step back and I just, I feel restricted with my food. Is there some small piece of advice or mental shift you, you would want to let them know, like if they're in that space of get, being ready to finally start to release those rules and like ease up a little bit on themselves, but they're nervous to to get started? Like what would you say to that person? I
1: mean, I would say that you don't have to do it alone. Um, I think there is so much shame in battling with your body and having a difficult relationship with food. So whether you, you know, Lean on someone in your community, a friend, a family member, or hire a practitioner. If you join our foundations program, that's a great way to do it. Um, But you don't have to do it by yourself. There are so many times where as soon as you just say that fear out loud, you recognize like how kind of irrational or like ungrounded it is. And then you get to like work through it. Um, But it's hard. You know, I think dieting is hard and it also doesn't work. This work is hard and it has so many long-term sustainable benefits. Um, So it's just a matter of like choosing your hard at the end of the day. Mm
0: -hmm. Love it. Love it. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Claire, for uh, taking the time to chat with me. I think a lot of people are really going to relate to this and it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you. And can you just remind everyone where they can get more from you, more information join the program, all of that?
1: Yeah. So the best place to go is probably our website. So it is nutritionalfreedom.co. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at nutritional freedom. Um, and then I am also, uh, having my, my own Instagram page at Claire underscore Siegel.
0: Perfect. Everyone go head over and say hi to Claire. (laughs) All right. Thank you again, Claire. It's so much fun chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks, Christina. Thank you so much to Claire for coming on the podcast and sharing all of her knowledge and advice. If you want to connect with her further, just hop on over to Instagram and you can find her at Claire underscore Siegel or on her website, Claire Siegel. And you can find everything from nutritional freedom, at nutritionalfreedom.co or on Instagram at Nutritional Freedom. I would love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can do that by heading over to our podcast Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Just request to join and I will add you in there. And if you enjoy the show, make sure you share it on social media and tag me, tag Claire, tag Nutritional Freedom, tag Wellness Wellness Podcast. That way I can say thank you for sharing. And if you think this episode would help anyone you know, make sure you send it to them as well. If you have not already left a rating and a review on iTunes, please do so to share support and help us grow our community. It seriously means the world to me when you leave a rating and a review on iTunes. I really want to increase our reviews. That's one of my goals for this year. So if you can help me out, that would be amazing. All right. That's going to be it for today's show. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And I'll chat with you again next time. Bye.